You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Second Corinthians is where we'll be. Second Corinthians chapter 6. I hope you don't mind you're going to use your Bible this morning. So let's make sure. Members, look around. Make sure that everybody can see God's Word. We're going to be all over the place. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in Ezekiel, so start thinking of where that is. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis. Aren't you glad we have a Bible? Hope that you read it, not just on Sundays. That's why I preach so long. Some of you, this is the only Bible you get throughout the week. I want to preach long. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to do the majority of the reading today, but I don't want you to get lost. I want you to follow along just for sake of time. Look in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Do we want to answer that question? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now, are we supposed to be friendly to the world? Certainly. Certainly. Are we supposed to have an influence upon the world? Yes, but we are not to be friends with the world. Now, Jesus was a friend of sinners, was he not? This is not a contradiction. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he influenced them. They never influenced him. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. Now, maybe that's a difficult question for us to answer, so let's go a little further. What communion hath light with darkness? Now, that's easier to answer. There is no communion between light and darkness. Or what concord hath Christ with Belial? It's another word for Satan. What do Christ and Satan have in common? Nothing. Or what part had he that believeth with an infidel? So he comes back to the beginning. You see that? What, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, okay, all right, let's make it simple. Does light have communion with darkness? No. Does Christ have concord with Satan? No. Then what fellowship has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, because of this, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know about you. I don't need any more incentive than that. Come out from among them and be ye separate. And I'll be your father and you'll be my child. And therefore, all of the promises that we find in Scripture, prayer from a child to a father, like Brother Angel talked about, all of those are now yours. If 
you come out. I want to preach to you what I will call, it's time to leave. It's time to leave. Father, please bless the preaching of your word. Save the soul that is nearest hell. Revive backsliders. Help everybody to focus in. I believe everybody from the most mature Christian to the weakest one here can get something from this. And please let me preach with boldness and with your spirit so that people do not see me, but they see you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In this world, a line has been drawn. This line is invisible to your fleshly eye. But just because you can't see it does not mean it isn't real. It is as real as anything that you can hear, anything that you can touch, anything else that you can see. I am not referring to the line that is drawn by man that separates the rich from the poor. There is a line in the world like that, drawn by man, that separates the upper class from the middle class and the middle class from the lower class. I'm not talking about that line. I'm not talking about the line drawn by man that separates the strong from the weak or separates us based on the color of our skin. Sorry, I don't believe that you are equal with me because you live closer to the equator than I do. I'm not talking about the line that separates the educated from the illiterate. I'm not talking about the line drawn by man that separates the famous from the common. I am referring to a line drawn by God that separates righteousness from unrighteousness. A line that separates Christ and all of his from Belial and all of his. A line that separates the godly from the worldly. Can we put it that way? Those who are heavenly minded and those who are earthly minded. Those who are of the spirit and those who are of the flesh. Can we just put it this way? A line that separates the light from the darkness. We can make the mental leap from that metaphor. The Lord symbolically drew this line on the first day of creation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And just as God divided physical light from physical darkness on that first day, He is now seeking to divide spiritual light from spiritual darkness every day. And then religion comes along to mix them together. That's why every church wants to talk about the gray areas today. Let's talk about the gray areas. You know where you get gray? You have to mix light and dark. That is the only time that you get gray areas. And the Bible says... In 1 John, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, it continues, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Because in this world, a line has been drawn, a line drawn by God, a line that brings a separation between what is right and what is wrong. Or can we put it this way? A line that separates who is right and who is wrong. 
a line that separates the believers, can we put it the, from the world? My question is, on which side of that line are you standing? Now, perhaps your answer is, I'm saved. I'm born again. I know that Jesus is my Savior. I didn't ask you, are you saved? I asked you, on which side of God's dividing line are you standing? Just because you're saved doesn't automatically mean you're standing on the light side. There are two types of people in this room. There are saved and there are lost. Now, that's a Bible term. We know that. Saved from hell, saved from your sin. And lost, lost from Christ, separated from Christ. There are saved, there are lost. There are believers and there are unbelievers. Thou sayest you believe that there is one God, you do well, but even the devils believe and tremble. I'm not talking about believing that there is a God. I'm talking about believing that Jesus is the Son of God and your only possible Savior. And there is a line separating, between, there, there are two types of people in here, believers and unbelievers. If you believe in anything other than Jesus, you're an unbeliever in God's eyes. He that believeth not in the Son is condemned already. If you believe in Jesus minus anything, you are an unbeliever in God's eyes. If you believe in Jesus plus anything, you are an unbeliever. In God's eyes, there are believers in here, there are unbelievers in here. There are children of light, there are children of darkness. Now, if you are lost, my desire for you this morning, and I don't know who's in here. I can't see your soul, I can't see your heart. But if you are lost in here, my desire is for you to be saved. Because I'll say this without hopefully offending anybody, but unless a pig is given a new nature, it's never going to come out of the mud. And likewise, unless a sinner is given a new nature, he's never going to come out of the dark. So if you are lost, if you are a child of darkness, if you are an unbeliever, my prayer is for you to believe today. My prayer is for you to be saved because you can never hope to come out from the world unless you are born again by the Spirit of God. That is the only way you can do it. But even if you are saved... Even after you are given a new nature, what I'm trying to show you is it is your choice on which side of the line you are going to stand. It is your choice to stand on the right side or the wrong side of God's dividing line. Let me, let me put it this, I'll make my argument in several different ways. If you ever wish to be separate from the world, ye must be born again. But even after you are born again, you must choose to live a new life with that new birth. We can put it this way. Salvation from hell is the job of the Savior. Separation from the world is the job of the saved. We can put it this way. It is God's job to draw the line. It is your job to stand on the right side of that line. God will only call you to separation. He will never force you to separation. You must decide to come out from among them and be separate. You must decide to touch not the unclean thing. Now, in order to illustrate this truth, this New Testament truth, we're going to go to the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you a story that perfectly illustrates this call that God gives to you to come out from among the world. 
and be separate. Now, I have three phases in my message. The good news is phase one is already done. Congratulations to you. Phase one is to teach you that if you ever wish to be separate from the world, ye must be born again because you can never see the line between light and darkness with your fleshly eyes. You have to have spiritual eyes. And the Bible talks about when a lost person reads this book, it's foolishness to them. The, somebody who is carnal cannot understand spiritual. So if we're going to talk about a spiritual line that is invisible to the fleshly eye, we've got to have spiritual eyes. So the first phase is to teach you if you will ever hope to stand on the right side of that line. It's not going to happen by luck, and it's certainly not going to happen by nature. You must be born again. But then, okay, if you are going to stand on the right side, ever hope to stand on the right side, Jesus must first change your heart. But even after Jesus changes your heart, you must change your ways. And that is on you. Now, the Holy Spirit will help you. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As long as you are standing on the wrong side, you know it as a child of God. He is going to convict you and convict you and convict you. He will not let you go. Listen to me, church. I, I, I'm not, I, I, I can't speak to you. I, I, I can't speak how God works in your life. But let me tell you how God works in my life. When I do something against him, when I sin against him, and I know I sin against him, I can't sleep until I get it right. And when somebody can live, Brother Lewis, am I right? I cannot sleep. He won't let me sleep until I get it. The Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. It is a gift. You don't deserve that. God will give it to you. And if he doesn't want to give it to you because he has something to talk to you about, he's not going to give it to you. I do not understand somebody who says that they are a Christian and can sleep in sin. My tendency is to say, you don't have what I have. And I have more of an argument to say, you don't have who I have. I think I have more of a leg to stand on than for you to say, well, the Holy Spirit just works differently with you than with me. I doubt that highly. Phase number two. I want to use an Old Testament story to show you why God calls for you to be separate. Phase number three. Once you make that decision, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm coming out from the world. It's time to leave, and I'm going. What do you do? What do you do on your way out? Okay? Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. If you pass Ezekiel on the way, put a marker in there. We're going to get there in a little bit. Okay, I'm going to start reading because you're not listening fast enough today. I'm totally kidding. It's I am not focusing enough today. I'm going to start reading. If you haven't found Genesis yet, just stop where you are and look intelligent. Okay, verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you know something about Sodom, okay? And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet him, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, if you know Sodom, you might not know Lot. Let me just say this. Lot is a child of God. Lot, the Bible says, was a righteous man. Lot believed that there was a Christ to come. He put his faith in that Christ, and the Lord saved him, and he's in Sodom. 
verse 2. He said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him. Now they're going to find out in just a second why he pressed upon them greatly to come into his house. And entered into his house, he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, adults and children. All the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. They're not talking about a casual conversation. And Lot went out at the door unto them, shut the door after him, good idea, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. There are some parts of the Bible that I find hard to read. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, I beg you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Oh, and your daughters didn't? I read that again this morning and got angry. But listen to me, church, but for the grace of God, we would do the same thing. You do not know the depravity of your heart. You can sink far deeper than this, and so can I. What a horrible thing to say. How do you think his daughters are feeling? As their dad is saying this, don't touch these men that I've known for an hour, but my daughters that I've raised, you can have them. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. He was sitting in the gate. People who sat in the gate had a political position. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness. Again, both small and great, both child and adult. And when they saw that they were blind, they left off of their sin. No, they were so Deep in wickedness, they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Okay, so Why? Why does God call for you to come out from among them and be ye separate? Why, in a world that longs for peace and harmony and unity, does God, who made the world, call for division? Why does the same God who made this world and said at the beginning, it's very good, why does that same God now say, do not love this world? Neither love the things that are in the world. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, 
is not of the Father. Why does the same God who placed us in this world tell us not to be of this world? Now, there are many answers we can give to that. Let's take an answer from this story. What does this story teach us? This story says God calls for you to come out from among them because he must punish this world. That's his reasoning here. Get out of this place because I'm going to destroy it. Now, all throughout scripture, the, Bible, um, um, the city of Sodom is a model of the world. It is a type of the world, a picture of the world. This story is not given in the Bible just so that we can know what happened to Sodom so long ago. This story is given in the Bible to show what God will do to any civilization that lives the way that Sodom lives. This is God's character he's trying to show us, not just God's actions. And Sodom was on the cutting edge of sin. They were the leaders of unrighteousness, the pioneers of wickedness. Every sin in existence found comfort and residence in Sodom. Go to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, verse 12 and 13. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked before the Lord. Nope. Wicked and sinners before the Lord. Nope. Wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Verse, uh, chapter 18. Chapter 18. Verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. If not, I will know. Within just a few hours of his messengers being in the city, they're being surrounded so that they can be sexually assaulted. And that's why they say in chapter 19, verse 13, yeah, the cry that the Lord was talking about, it's there, and it has waxen great. You can read in Isaiah chapter 5, where the Lord said, I, I did all this work to Israel so that they could bring forth grapes, but they brought forth wild grapes. And he says in there, I looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. It's talking about how the wickedness of this place was screaming out to heaven. What are you going to do about it? It's been over 3,000 years, well over 3,000 years since the story, possibly even more. And the reputation of Sodom is still alive today. The very name of the city is used to describe the sickest sin that man has ever invented. But Sodom was known for much more, much more than its sexual deviance. So Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm going to beat you there because I have a marker. Ezekiel 16. We will go back to Genesis, though. We'll go back to Genesis, so keep your spot. If we were to say today, what is Sodom known for? Our token answer would be homosexuality. That's what Sodom was known for. Mixing of the genders. Sodom was known for much more than that. In fact, God's about to call it out, and what you're going to notice is he doesn't mention homosexuality one time. And in fact, the LGBT community uses that to try to give some type of argument that God isn't against it. Well, if he wasn't against it, he wouldn't have brought it. Oh, okay, let's just read. Let's just read, okay? 
Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. I think they shoot themselves in the foot right away. Do you think this is a coincidence? Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What's their rallying cry? Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, notice the word in here. Behold, this was the iniquity. Iniquity is deep-seated, the root of the problem. Here is where the homosexuality came from. Here is where all of the outward things that we see in Genesis 19, here's where it all came from. They got proud, they got full, they got lazy, they got unjust toward other people who are wicked or who are weak and needy, and they got ungrateful, Romans chapter 1 said. That was their iniquity, that was the root, and then it springs up, and here's what you see. Homosexuality, mixing of the genders, Okay, so God says, because the cry of Sodom has come up before me and is waxing great, I must destroy that place. My question, do any of the sins of Sodom sound familiar today? Pride? You know what pride is? God says this, I say the opposite. That's what pride is. God says yes, I say no. God says no, I say yes. Nowhere in our world today. Fullness of bread. Absolutely. Abundance of idleness. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours at a time. I am glad this generation was not alive during World War II. We would have lost. Women outworked our men back then. Well, women back then outworked our men today, for sure. Injustice, ingratitude, homosexuality, everywhere. Do you notice this one? Pedophilia. Kids were there. Listen, listen, church, that is the problem. That is the problem with the liberal mindset. Now, I am not here... To, to be political, okay? I say you put the Republicans and the Independents and the Democrats in a box and shake them up and throw them in the swamp and you will not know which is which. But that is the problem with a liberal mindset, politically, spiritually, whatever it is. They can never tell you where they're going. They can only tell you what they're leaving. That's it. They can never tell you what they stand for. They can only tell you what they're against. That is the problem with the liberal mindset. Gun control. Okay, then what do we do? Well, I don't know. But that's got to stop. Okay, cool. So we're going to put gun control in place, like we did in Chicago. And all the criminals are just going to come and say, okay, here. Okay, so, so then, then this liberal mindset as far as love is concerned, because that's their, that is, love is love, and love conquers all, conquers all, and if a man wants to love a man, he can love a man, and if a woman wants to love a woman, 
she can love a woman. Okay, then if an adult can, wants to love a child, what stops them there? Oh, no, never, never. We said, oh, no, never, never, not too long ago, about a man and a man. And a woman and a woman. And I, I can love a horse. See, and we scoff. We scoff at it. But that's, guys, that's where they're going. And they don't even know where they're going. L-G-B-T-Q plus. Don't forget the plus. It's very important. That shows us these are the ones that we're really standing for. But you know what? Somebody else can think of something tomorrow, and we don't want to offend them. That is the problem with the liberal mindset. There were kids there. That's who they're coming for next. So don't get mad at me when I stand up and say, I ain't putting up with any of it. No, 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 no. This isn't a political speech. We say amen. If you want to just say amen. amen. There you go. Now, if God had to punish Sodom back then, what do you expect God to do when we're participating in the same sins? What do you expect him to do? Has his character changed? In 1965, Billy Graham was writing a book back before he went crazy and said hell wasn't literal fire and got mixed up with Catholics. He was writing a book called World of Flame, and his wife Ruth was proofreading it. And there's a chapter in that book that describes our world's downward spiral into sin. And she came to him with tears in her eyes and handed the book to him after that chapter, or handed the chapter to him. And she said, Billy... If God doesn't punish our world, he will have to go back and apologize to Sodom. Jesus is the one who told the city of Capernaum, he said this, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done, of, done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Capernaum saw many miracles, miracles that according to Jesus, if they would have been done in Sodom, Sodom would have repented. Capernaum heard the gospel preaching that according to Jesus, if Sodom would have heard, even the wicked people of Sodom, if they would have heard that preaching, they would have repented. Now, if God will hold Capernaum responsible for their rejection of the preaching that they heard and the miracles that they saw, how much more? Is he going to hold our world responsible? I will make the argument all day. Our world has seen many more miracles from God than Capernaum ever saw. 2,000 years more. Our, our world has certainly heard more gospel preaching than Capernaum ever heard. And still our world, and especially our nation. Yeah, we are still the leader. We are leading in rejection of Christ and living like Sodom. And that's why I will say to our world and I will say to our nation especially exactly what Jesus said to Capernaum. It will be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Judgment is coming upon this world. It must come upon this world. And it must come upon America. I'm scared that America isn't in prophecy. Unless you really dig deep. How in the world can the greatest nation that ever lived, and the, long, the, long, the greatest nation that lived for the longest amount of time, not be anywhere 
We are committing the same sins. Judgment has to come. My question is, do you want to be standing on the wrong side of that line? Romans 2.3 asks this question. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? We read Sodom. We read the story. Sickening. Thinkest thou that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Paul told the men of Athens, Greece, God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Now the Bible also says, thank God, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's why he calls for you and he calls for me. Come out from among them and be separate. God is coming to judge this world with the fire of his holiness. So he calls out to you in love. Remove yourself from the crosshairs. Here's the line. Step on that side, you'll be safe. Do you want to remain in the crosshairs of God's awesome judgment? Can we, can, we, can we do this? Okay, let's ignore God's future judgment for now. Let's take it off the table. Let's say that God isn't coming to judge the world. Let's not think about future judgment, and let's just talk about the present filth of this world, okay? Even if that wasn't coming, is, uh, coming, is this where you want to stand? Think of what the world is doing. Th th think of what happens in the world. Think of the language of the world. We went to the uh, minor league hockey game the other day, and there's people behind us getting wasted drunk. I got kids around me, and every other word is a curse word. I don't want to be around that. Do you want to be around that? Not even, not even talking about judgment to come, that God's angry at it and will judge it. Is that the language you want to be around? Think of the jokes of the world. Think of the TV shows of the world and what they elevate and what they put down. Think of the drunkenness, the fornication, the abortion, the drugs, the gender confusion, the divorce, and the split homes based on this idea that marriage isn't important. Think of the greed. Think of the murder. Think of the violence. Not even thinking that future judgment is going to come. Do you wish to live your life in the midst of that present wickedness? Is that fun to you? Are those the sins you want your kids around? Your grandkids around? I say that even if God's judgment wasn't on the table, this world is sick enough not to want anything to do with it. But judgment is coming. And that's why God calls for you to come out from them. Not physically. We're not drinking Kool-Aid here. Spiritually. Spiritually. You know what come out from among them and be separate means? Live differently than them. Live differently. In a world of darkness, let your light so shine. And in a world, world filled with bad works, let them see your good works. And in a world where men only care about bringing glory to themselves, let them see your good works so that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. In a world filled of unclean things, don't touch it. Come out just by living differently than they do. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. I won't punish you. Here's the line. Get out of the world. Get out of the blast radius. Now, if you're here without Christ, I pray, for you. I pray that your prayer 
would be for the Lord to save you because only then do you have spiritual eyes to see where this line is drawn. But then if Jesus is your savior, I beg you to decide. I'm going to live a consecrated life. I'm going to live a life outside of the boundary line of wrong that God has decided. I'm going to live on the right side of the line. I'm going to decide to come out from the world. Now, lost person, if that's your prayer, saved person, if that's your desire, if that is your decision, phase three, what do you do? What do you do? What? And there's three lessons that this story teaches us. So are we back in Genesis 19? Back in Genesis 19. I've got to hurry. My goodness. What must you do after you decide to separate from this world? Lesson number one, bring as many people out with you as you can. Bring as many people out with you as you can. Verse 12, hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, family, friends, co-workers, what do you have? Whatever you have, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy it. Let me ask you a question. How much do you have to hate somebody to know that judgment is coming and not tell them about it? How much do you have to hate somebody to know that eternal life is possible and not tell them about it. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a truck bearing down on you, but you don't believe that the truck is on its way, at a certain point, I'm tackling you. And isn't eternity a little bit more important than that? That's a good argument, isn't it? It's not my argument. You know, who, you know who asked that question? His name is Penn Gillette. You ever heard of Penn and Teller? Penn is an outspoken atheist. And he said he, he doesn't care anything about religion. He doesn't care anything about God. But he had somebody come up to him after one of his shows and give him a New Testament, a marked New Testament. And he said, I know you don't believe what I believe, but I love you. Would you read this? And he went home, and it's on video. You can see it. He said, I, let me, I do not believe in that. I don't believe in anything of it. But I'll tell you this. I have no respect for people who don't witness. I, has, I have no respect for it all. And then he asked that, how much do you have to hate somebody for you to believe that judgment is coming and you won't tell me about it? If by God's grace you have been warned of judgment to come, if by God's grace you have been told the way to escape, then it is more than in your ability. It is your responsibility to bring as many people out with you as you can. I'm glad that you've decided to come out from the world. I think that's a wonderful thing. But who are you leaving behind? Who are you leaving in the blast radius? Whoever it is, you don't care about them very much. Hast thou here any besides your spouse, your kids, your parents, your aunts, your uncle? Well I've, well, I've told them so many times. Are you afraid you'll make it awkward? Preacher Gomez asked, what, what are you going to do? Drive them to hell number two? Tell them. Bring them out. 
If my, my aunt or my uncle was standing in Yorktown and the car's coming, there's a car coming. No, there's not. There's a car coming. No, there's not. I'm going to put my hands on them and yank them out. Now, if they decide they don't want to listen, that's, that's their choice. It's not fine. We will either break their heart or we'll break ours. But we will not pillow our head at night knowing we could have done something more. Bring them out of this place, as many people as you can. Now, if we're going to bring them out with us, if we are going to convince them that we believe judgment is coming, if we're going to convince them that they need to li let me ask it this way. How are we going to convince people to leave the world while we're living like them? How are we going to convince people to leave this world when we're living like this world? How can we say in, with any sincerity, God is going to judge this world because of sin while we're participating in the sin? The world is going to look back at you and say, you obviously must not be too afraid of the judgment if you're living just like we live. Verse 14, Lot goes up to his daughters that are married and his sons-in-law and says, get out. Get out of this place. Judgment is coming. But he seemed as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. Get out of this place. Judgment is coming. We got to get out of here. Is this the same guy who brought us here in the first place? Is this the same guy who sits in a political position in the gate? Lot, is it, what happened to Lot? Where is he at? Is this the same guy who allowed his daughters to marry heathen men? Is this the same guy that I heard just about an hour ago offered up his other daughters to be ravaged? Get out of my face, Lot. What are you talking about? And so you at work, or you at your family reunion, or you with your friends, or you with, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I am a Christian. I am a believer. I believe in him. And unless you believe in him, unless you trust in him, you're going to go to hell. Will they look back and say, I'm sorry, is this the same guy who was drinking with us last week? I'm sorry, is this the same guy who curses like we curse? and laughs at the same jokes that we laugh at and tells them sometimes? Is this the one who's constantly complaining like we complain? Is this the one who is constantly has a horrible attitude like we have a horrible attitude? The, who won the Super Bowl? The uh, Chiefs? Whatever. I guess their mascot is a believer. That's what he says. He wasn't in church on Sunday, I'll tell you that much. But he said this, if we are going to be a witness to people, we can't walk around like we're sucking on lemons all the time. Now, that's some pretty good wisdom from somebody who isn't even in church. But even a broken clock is right twice a day. But yeah, you go in, you know, Jesus is my Savior. Everything's all right. Okay, man, cool. Is this the same guy who misses church like we miss? Watches the same filth we watch? Talks about, I've got a mosquito on me. Talks about the same shows that we, that we go to or that, that we watch. Why should we come out from among the world when you haven't? Do you want to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ? You must be different than the world for Jesus Christ. If you want to rescue somebody from drown, that's drowning in quicksand, you don't jump in. Let me help you. 
I know how to get out. <laughs> if you want to convince somebody that they need to be saved and come out from the world, don't just give them words to hear. Give them an example to follow. I am not going to pay a lot of attention to the man who's saying the building's on fire. We're all going to die. If he's sitting in his recliner with a remote in his hand wearing a Snuggie, drinking a lemonade, I'm not going to pay a lot of attention to him. I will pay more attention to the man who is running up and down the hallways with his, with his family under his arms, knocking at every door, fire, fire, get out! I'm going to pay attention to that person. The world is not going to pay attention to somebody who says, judgment is coming, all will be there, each one receiving justly as due. Hell is real. When you live like hell is a dream, they'll pay more attention to the one who runs to church every time they can with their family under their arms, knocking at every door, saying judgment is coming. Hell is real, but Jesus is alive and he is able and he is willing to save. We know it's true. Live like it then. Live like it and bring as many people out with you as you can. Lesson number two, don't linger. Don't linger. Verse 15, the angels say, when the, morning arose, when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, they brought them forth and set him without the city. I just have a question for Lot. Lot, what in the world are you waiting for? Judgment is coming, and you're stalling in the crosshairs. What in Sodom is worth dying for? And perhaps he's thinking of his possessions. Perhaps he's thinking of his house and his livestock and his bank account. Well, that's all going to come crumbling down. Maybe he's thinking about the, the Dow and the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 in, in Sodom. What's going to happen with all my investments and my dividends? Maybe he's thinking of his clothing and his awards. Pastor, I want to come out from the world, but if I do, I'm going to have to give up a lot of what I've gained. I'm going to have to throw away my beer sign, and I'm going to have to throw away this and throw away that. Better to be poor with Christ than have everything without him. What, what shall it profit if a man shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? No thing in this world is worth dying for. No thing in this world. Perhaps Lot is thinking of his position of authority. No doubt that position took some time for an outsider to get up to. But you can't hold a position in Sodom and a position with God at the same time. Pastor, I want to come out from the world, but if I do so, I'm going to lose my job. I witnessed to a bar owner one time, and he got saved. I said, you need to come, you need to be baptized, and you need to get in church. And I said, see, you won't do that because you know if you come to my church, you're going to have to shut down your bar. And he said, yeah, I would. I want to come out, but if I do, I'll lose my job. Better to lose your job than to lose your walk with Christ. Perhaps Lot was lingering because he's thinking of his children that were refusing to come with him. We can make an argument for that. He should have thought of that before. That sounds harsh. Truth is. 
If he was so worried about his children, he never should have taken them there in the first place. Too many of us think of our family when we're wanting to come out of the world and we think nothing about them when we go in. And now your kids are giving you fits because you've come out of the world, but you haven't gotten the world out of your kid. My question is, who took, who took them there in the first place? I'm not saying your kid is right, but some of you adults, some of your moms and dads need to go up to your kids and say, I am sorry for exposing you to this and hope that it gets right. We don't know exactly why Lot lingered. We don't have to know the reason why in order to get this lesson. God is trying to teach us. When you live in the world, it sinks its teeth into you. When you live in the world, it's like a fishing lure. It lures you in, and as soon as you bite it, and then even when you want out, you find yourself lingering for things that are keeping you in the blast radius. Coming out of the world must be as quick of a process as possible. A lot of times it's a big ship going in one direction and that takes a long time to move. But it must be as quick as possible. Once you've decided to leave, leave. Get out, step by step, inch by inch, but always forward, judgment is coming, this is no time to linger. Stop saying, I'll quit drinking tomorrow. Stop it. Stop saying, I'll clean up my language later. Stop it. Stop saying, someday I'll throw away my worldly music. Someday I'll stop watching filth. Someday I'll speak like a Christian and dress like a Christian. Someday I'll be honest in my business dealings, but right now I'm in the middle of one. Someday I'll stop using drugs. Someday I'll stop smoking and I'll stop vaping. Someday I'll, I'll forgive that person that wronged me. Someday I'll be a witness. Someday I'll take that next step of faith. No, today. What are you lingering for? Stop taking your time getting out of Sodom and just get out. Stop drinking today. Stop smoking today. Stop cussing and lying and being bitter and missing church and gossiping. Do that today. Answer God's call today. How do I know God's calling me? Is your phone ringing? It's pretty obvious. And you can't put that one on silent. He'll let you know. You know when nature calls, you'll know when God calls. Some of you will get that by freight. Be clean today. Log out of that site today. Dress right today. Be sober today. Come out from among them and be separate today. Do not linger. And please don't be angry with me for pushing you. Even the angels hastened Lot. Get as far away from the world as you can, as quickly as you can. And you know what they said? Don't look behind you. If you decide I'm coming out from the world, bring as many people with you as you can. Don't linger and don't look back. Don't look back. Leave your alcohol in Sodom where it belongs and don't look back. Leave your tobacco in Sodom where it belongs 
and your language in Sodom and your missing church and your lying and your gossiping and your bitterness and your immodesty and your filthy shows and all that stuff. Leave it in Sodom where it belongs and don't look back. Don't be like the Israelites who left Egypt and then said, we remember the leeks and the garlic and the fish that we did eat freely and now we only have this manna. Yes, in Egypt you had vegetables and fish, but you were, you were slaves. You were slaves in Egypt. Following God may not offer you all the things of the world, okay? May not. But it's miracle food. Listen to me, coming out from the world means leaving the world behind. We understand that? You can't bring it with you. Which, by the way, think about this. Think about this. Lot had gone to Egypt when Abraham took him down to Egypt, another picture of the world, and Egypt treated him favorably, gave him a bunch of riches, right? To the point where Abraham and Lot could not be with each other anymore. And then, Brother James, Lot takes all of those riches to Sodom, and in the very next chapter, somebody invades Sodom, and takes all the riches. Oh, the world gives you so much, nothing you can keep. Abraham still all, had all his because he walked by faith. Lot lost it all. Can I apply it this way? As Christians, our music isn't as popular. It's not as catchy. It's not as catchy as the world's music. It's not as popular as the world's music. But their music is for slaves. And I left that music behind. And I'm not looking back. My music, no, sometimes it's hard. You walk into the grocery store and you hear one back in the day from the 90s. And every single word, every single word. We used to play cranium with my mom and dad. You ever play cranium? And there's, there's, one, there's one that's called a humdinger, okay? Oh, Lord, help me. And you're supposed to hum these songs. And my brother and I would, we would look, no clue. I got no clue. No clue. And mom and dad would be like, what? What is it? What is it? What is it? You, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. And then they start singing it. And some of you right now are bobbing your head. See, Brother Lewis, get right, seriously. <laughs> My music may not be as catchy as the world's music, but it's miracle music. They can keep their slave music. I'll take there is a fountain filled with blood. And it is well with my soul. And blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I'll take those. I'm on the winning side. And victory in Jesus. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. They can have all their junk. As Christians, our dress isn't as fashionable. Let's call it what it is. It's not as fashionable. Our entertainment isn't as appealing. There are some Christian films coming out right now, and not any of them have gotten my blood pumping. I can't wait to see that. Never. 
Our schedules aren't as flexible. We know where we are Sundays. We know where we are Wednesdays. And pastor keeps scheduling other things, and we've got to be there for that too. Our homes aren't as big, our cars aren't as fancy, but what we have comes like manna from heaven. And I'd rather eat manna in freedom than the world's feast in chains. I'm not complaining that the world has more things. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I've left that place because it's time to leave. Don't look back. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Come out from it. Don't look back. You know what Jesus says? No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not saying that you're not saved. It's saying you're not a disciple. Judgment is coming on this sinful world. It's time to leave. We are closer to the day of judgment than we have ever been. And in his mercy, he drew a line of separation between light and darkness and said, you stand on that side of the line and you will be fine. Which side of the line are you standing on? It's time to leave. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't even look back to touch the unclean thing. Oh, I've been saved for a really long time. This message really isn't for me. I've been out of the world for a long time. I'm sure if we looked in some closets and cupboards of your heart, we'd find some things that need to go. Bring as many people with you as you can. When is the last time you led somebody to the Lord? Have you ever? When's the last time you led somebody to the Lord? Miss Amy led her first soul to the Lord this last week. Brother Mike, am I understanding? You led your first soul to the Lord this last week. Praise the Lord indeed, sir. A Christian tree brought forth Christian fruit. What do you know? It's how it's supposed to be. Now don't you stop. When's the last time you led somebody to the Lord? Don't linger. No thing in Sodom is worth dying for. And don't look back. Some of you need to say, all right, I'm out. I'm out. It's time to leave. Don't look back. It's a good life. Do you know where the line is drawn? Do you even know where the line is drawn? Because if Jesus isn't your Savior, you won't even know that. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.